Community Alliance with Family Farmers presents the Farmer's Beat Podcast. That's B-E-E-T. Hi, my name is Grace Perry. I work at Community Alliance with Family Farmers, also known as CAF. I am the host of these episodes where we hear directly from small family farmers throughout California, getting the real information and the stories behind the food we grow and eat. In this series, we pay particular attention to the innovative work small-scale farmers are doing to keep their food safe to eat and share techniques farmer to farmer. Today, we are at Soilborn Farms in Rancho Cordova, California, and we are talking to Tyler, who is the farm manager. My name is Tyler Stowers, and I am the farm manager at Soilborn Farms. Tyler's introduction to farming was not quite how you would expect from someone in the farming industry. As many college graduates find themselves after graduation with a degree, he didn't really know what to do with his. It was late 2009 slash early 2010, and he found himself in an interesting situation while working as a wine runner at a local restaurant whose main goal was to offer exceptional customer service. The restaurant wanted to commit to a level of service where such that they didn't want their servers to depart from the be away from the tables for very long so when a customer or a guest would order a bottle of wine server couldn't be bothered going to go get that bottle of wine out of a out of a cellar so they had someone a wine runner in this case it was me go get that bottle of wine and bring it and and then i would return to my it was a prep kitchen during the day and wait for the next ticket so throughout a bustling service i was kind of hanging out not really doing a whole lot uh so i would really wander and peruse the walk-ins and see the really high quality produce that was coming in i would watch the cooks handle and and treat this produce with great respect so it piqued my interest turns out most of that produce was coming from one farm in this case bob canard's home farm canard farms in Glen Ellen in sonoma these were hardened folks who who were enjoying life they had a zest to them and i wanted a piece of that Bob had a, a farm training school called the Green String Institute at the partnering farm in Petaluma. So this opportunity coinciding with the existential crisis and a lifetime of loving food and wanting to be outside seemed like a great thing to do while I figured it out. And that was in 2011. And I haven't turned back since. It felt pretty obvious and immediate that, this, that farming was the thing for me. Tyler's farming adventures saw him bounce around from Northern California to Southern Oregon before landing as the farm manager at Soilborn Farms, where he has been since 2016. So being a farm manager here at Soilborn means that you're in charge of the day-to-day vegetable growing and fruit growing operations like it does at most other farms throughout the years that has also meant managing and seeing through other aspects or other activities that are specific to the nonprofit. And so that has ebbed and flowed from, I guess, managing or or oversight and supervising volunteer groups. So that's planning and executing of hosting groups of uh, various ages and skill levels and motivations to do farming tasks. And that's also been corporate groups. There's a farmer training program that we have had. We've hosted apprentices historically here. So I think since Soilborn's inception, really up until 2019 season, there was farmer apprentices here learning how to farm. So the farm manager 
would be very instrumental in teaching farm apprentices how to farm. Soilborn started in the year 2000 on a one-acre site in the Arden Arcade area of Sacramento as a production farm, but the two founders had a bigger vision for Soilborn, a vision that involved community, education, and involving youth so they would be able to learn about where their food comes from and how to grow it. The organization started in the year 2000 at a one-acre site in the Arden Arcade area of Sacramento as a production farm, and but also a production farm that had aspirations to being a bit more than a place where vegetables are grown, picked, and then sold from. The two founders, Marco and Sean, saw it as a place where people can come and learn skills in addition to buying food. And various programs have been tacked on to the organization. So someone came to the co-directors, to Sean and Marco, and said, hey, this is something I want to do. I want to bring kids out here, and I want to show them where food comes from, how to grow food. And they said something like, that sounds awesome. Uh, we would love to do that. We think that the opportunity to have a farm on this site is a pretty cool thing. Firstly, it's geography. We're adjacent to the American River, yet we're also housed by three borders by suburbia. So in one sense, you could spend a whole day and not see a person and it can feel very rural. And yet you turn around and you're in the middle of where the people are. I think why we feel honored and to be chosen as the, the stewards of such a special piece of ground because it is such a unique asset to the, to the community. In 2007, Soilborn's work and ambition slowly outgrew the initial space of one acre. Soilborn became the steward of the American River Ranch, which enabled them to become a 501c3 nonprofit and become an urban-based education farm. The ambition slowly outgrew that one acre space. And in the year 2006 or seven, Soilborn then became the steward of the American River Ranch, which is where we are now in Rancho Cordova, the 55 acre site that is a part of the American River Parkway. From there, it's just totally taken off. And uh, a 501c3 nonprofit it has done many things from adult education to youth education on site and in schools, culinary arts education in schools, here on site, food access and gleaning programs, tree planting. There's a thread of education and providing skills to those who participate in them. And on the food side of things, we had a farmer apprenticeship training, we'd host classes, garden clinics. So, you know, we, we do a ton and who, who knows where the future will take us. Of the 55 acres that comprise soil-borne farms, 11 are arable and have the infrastructure, slope, and proper soils to grow a diverse set of vegetables. We probably grow vegetables actively on about two acres a season uh, with approximately, oh, I don't know, five to seven in cover crops, some kind of seasonal cover crop, either in the overwinter, overwintered or in the summer. So we grow about, I call, I'll also say 15 or so crops. So the summer, the usual suspects in the summertime, tomatoes, peppers, eggplant, squash, cucumbers, summer squash, that is, and bunching greens, but not all of them, but some chards, kales. 
alliums include scallions, garlic, lettuce heads, spinach, arugula, some parsley, some basil. I feel like the list of things we don't grow anymore are much longer, but that's, that's what we've whittled it down to over the years. Soilborn's customers consist mostly of the surrounding community, but they, as many other farms, have also had to shift and adapt due to the impact of COVID-19. Our customers are the Sacramento Food Co-op, a few restaurants in Sacramento, the Waterboy and One Speed, and anyone who comes to our online marketplace. So we used to do a, an on-site farm stand weekly on Saturday morning. Since COVID hit, we have adapted that outlet into a, uh, an online pre-order drive-through pickup. So folks pre-order in the middle during the week and they come uh, on-site on Saturdays to pick up their orders that are pre-packed for them and we load it up in their cars and they, they take off. And what do you think is unique about food safety on an urban community-based education farm? Our goal in a lot of ways is to be a resource for skills, for knowledge. And so because of that, we're, we're in the spotlight and you kind of have to, you better have your act together and to a degree if you're going to be out there telling people that you're, you're experts or you have knowledge on a certain thing. If you're trying to figure it out from the, from the very beginning, whether it's a food safety plan or a food production plan, having that spotlight puts some pressure on you. So I feel like that's fairly unique. Soilborn is an urban community-based education farm. So there are many different types of people from the community that may be on the farm on any given day. So the types of people who can be here, so take today, for example, where not only was there the regular organization staff, which included people who work in the office, people who manage volunteers, people who run the farm. But there's also uh, youth educators. There's a group of school, school-age kids out here taking a tour. Uh, this, there, there's For the field day, there were farmers and people in the community who were wanting to attend a field day and learn more about what it is that we're doing here. There are volunteers working in various garden spaces. And that's common too here. So I think there's a, uh, of our big community days, that tends to be the, the demographic who, who fills out the spaces. So it's, it's a lot and it's, um, it's diverse and it's, it's pretty cool. Building a culture of food safety requires buy-in from everyone. And with such a diverse group of people on the farm on any given day, Tyler describes how Soilborn instills a food safety culture on the farm. We've made progress in instilling a food safety culture because a way we've done that is by just telling, starting from the beginning, we just have it be a part of our identity. We take it seriously. And so we communicate that food safety, uh, this a particular food safety culture is just part of the way we do things here. So starts there, I think, with the lead and adopting that it being part of our identity and part of our kind of professional operation system is, uh, is where it starts. And then this was a bit more complicated pre-COVID, but COVID has lent itself an opportunity to kind of to, to, to change and rethink how we're incorporating volunteers and work traders into the farming systems in particular. They still come, but they're less involved in the farming operations. So that has cleaned up trainings and food safety protocols uh, for those folks who may only be here once. And then, you know, we, we would have to go through this whole the whole food safety training with them. And that seemed 
that seemed a little difficult to achieve week in, week out. But that's how we do. For, so we do, we do sometimes have longstanding work traders and uh, they get trained just like the employees do, just like we would, where we sit down and we go through our food safety plan and the SOPs and we hold them accountable to the checklists. If that they're, if they're participating in, say, a bin wash and pack, then if needed, they might be the ones signing off the, the checklist. So acknowledging it, starting it from the top uh, at the intro and then holding people accountable just as we would anybody has really been our effective tool. A huge part of making everyone feel comfortable and having a feeling of inclusion in the food safety process of the farm is making sure everyone has access and understands the farm's food safety policies. I'll say we've come a long way over the years and, and in particular just in this last past year working with, with, with you all, working with CAF. Before we started working with you guys, we had a good set of, a good set of systems and, and some good bones for our food safety plan, but I felt like it was hard to get off the ground once we, you know, so we had some, some once folks come and go. So the binder is, is alive and accessible and, uh, we, and we use it. And then we do our, our trainings, as I, as I mentioned before. So we, we sit down with the team and that can include some work traders, but definitely the full-time staff or anybody that we anticipate working in the pack shed or harvesting with us. And we go through it all. And that's been pretty effective. And then we have, I'd say, we call it cheat sheets and laminated reminders and checklists. But it also helps with our actions that reflect a policy. And so, you know, how to sanitize things or what order of which things get cleaned. So having resources close and accessible has, has really helped the policies become accessible. A food safety plan is one component of a whole farming system, but necessary if you want to produce a high quality product. What motivates us to having a robust food safety plan, I mean, at the surface level is keep preventing people from getting sick. No one wants to be on the hook for, for being the, the cause of someone getting sick or worse. We also see that a food safety plan is just one component of a whole farming system that is high in integrity. If we want to produce a high quality product, and especially a farm like ours and many others who want to promote our, our food as this health giving and health promoting food thing, food source, foodstuffs, then having it be clean is, is only a part of that picture. So, uh, we realize that in order to have this high integrity system, a robust food safety plan is integral. And then I find that having a plan in place, a food safety plan really helps you improve down the line. When things are nebular and there's no plan, it's hard to, to improve. It's hard to manipulate different variables or components of, of your operation. So, you know, what's that saying? What gets what gets measured gets managed. And, and if we are wanting to continually improve, which is a core ethos of, of our production systems, then having a plan in place allows us to return at the end of the season and tweak variables, improve upon things. So it's a tool to help us improve all aspects of the farm. Tyler now walks us through what Soilborn's wash, pack, and storage area look like. 
we're fortunate enough to inherit a structure and a piece of infrastructure that had been previously used as a commercial pear packing shed. So it, there was a concrete slab in place. There were industrial coolers with, with industrial equipment, um, lots of square footage in the coolers. So there's, a, there's, a, there's good bones to our system, but it never was built out for a vegetable washing and packing and storing system. So we had really plunked a vegetable washing system in the middle of this big high raftered packing shed. So it's probably the, the washing space itself. Uh, and there's a concrete slab. We have a couple dunk tanks, some typical stuff. I mean, there's a, there's spray tables, screen table, spraying tables. We also keep all of our harvest totes, our storage totes, which are different. We have a few kinds of harvests and storing totes, depending on the, what we're picking. We keep our wax boxes, our harvest tools, uh, also in this place on rolling racks. Um, everything is mobile, either on racks, shelves with wheels on them, or on pallets that we can stick a pallet jack under and move wherever we please. And we use municipal water for all the vegetable washing and we have two fairly big coolers that we use uh, we can keep at two different temperatures one for the summer fruits and another for for greens that are closer to that we keep at in the closer to high 40s degrees and the other one down at low 30s but again an equally generous space inside so another probably i don't know 15 by 20 space in there in each of those coolers um, maybe 15 by 15, a little smaller. It's small and basic, but also kind of luxurious in ways too. Tyler also describes a very unique feature of Soilborn's pack house, the palatitas. A palatita is essentially a, it's a tool to help us use the move stacks of vegetables or whatever uh, easily with the, the diablita, the, the hand truck. I learned these words and these tools at farms where Spanish was the, the language, the main language. And so I don't know what they're actually called. Well, hand truck for diaplita, I suppose. But so it's essentially the, the, the palatita is, it's a piece of plywood that has the same dimensions as the bottom of your bins, whatever it could be any size. Ours is a particular size and we use some scraps of that same plywood that we used to cut out the original shape and put them underneath just only on two sides of the palatita of the piece of plywood parallel to one another such that we can slide the lip of the hand truck underneath and we can move it very easily and uh if you can imagine that so it sits underneath it so when we're stacking something place the palatita down and then we can place as vegetables are being washed or they're coming into the tank or into the pack shed from the field they're slow they're stacking upon this little piece of wood and then we can move that stack of that really heavy stack of you know four to five bins fairly easily with the, with the hand truck another unique aspect of the farm's food safety plan is an annual mock recall they are implementing for the new year a mock recall is a good test of a farm's traceability system and food safety plan. All that would entail is calling up one of our accounts and we talk to the, the buyer or the manager or whoever. Uh, this is like in our case, let's just use the, the co-op for an example. We talk to the, the produce manager and within 24 hours of delivery, we would ask them if they can account for everything that we delivered 
from the most recent delivery. So on that invoice, ideally, they would have that invoice in hand and be able to say, oh yeah, this is on the floor. This is still in storage. And um, so yeah, we can account for all of that. Previously, it was internal. And so we would just imagine following produce back from an account to the field using a set of codes and numbers. Keeping up with food safety record keeping for the farm and the pack house is essential. Tyler describes the method that works best for soil-borne farms. The way we keep up with food safety record keeping on the farm and in the pack house is multifold. There's a lot to record and a lot to keep track of. So I think the first step is to, there's ways you can create a food safety plan to minimize record keeping in such a way. You can write a food safety plan that meets the basic requirements uh, without going overboard. And uh, each step of the food safety plan would require documentation typically. So the documentation burden was kind of piling up, but then working with, with you guys, I, I realized that it's, it kind of demystified the process. So you can produce a very safe and robust plan that is more basic than, than I once thought. And then the record keeping delegation is how we do it. So you have certain people responsible for certain aspects of the plan for cleaning certain things, whether it's a vehicle cleaning or a bin washing procedure, and then making the protocols and the record keeping itself, like the physical placement of the clipboards and the checklist really close to where the operation takes place. So Ideally, the cleaning log for the vehicle is in the vehicle or the cleaning log for the bins is next to the bins. So uh, if it's not easy, farming is hard enough. And uh, so if things aren't easy, they tend to not get done for very long. So uh, making it accessible, clear, and uh, a team approach really helps get it done. We had a log where we each day we would write down the dates or each cleaning event, we would write down the date and then describe what was sanitized or cleaned each day. And then the rates and the types of solutions that we would use, whether it was just the sanitizing solution or a deep clean. And we've adjusted that to then describe a basic protocol that we adhere to every time. Like we outline, this is how we sanitize and clean the wash and pack shed after a harvest. And then we check mark which areas of the pack got cleaned. Sometimes it's, it's everything. So in which case floors, dunk tank, harvest totes, backstock or harvest totes, vehicles, gloves, all that stuff. Uh, but sometimes it's not. And sometimes it's just a portion of that. So it's a quick check mark or preferably an initial uh, instead of a, writing out a whole sentence each time. A new year means new goals for soil-borne farms. And in 2022, they want to focus on fostering life below and above ground, amongst other new ventures. Uh, as a farm philosophy, right, we are one of those farms that are very populous and growing where we, you know, whatever you want to call it, regenerative, beyond organic. Underneath it all is an understanding and a belief that improving soil biology, so, well, rather ecology, living things above and below ground, microbiology, the ecology above ground too. Um, things just are better. Soil is healthier, plants are healthier. So we want to try and foster 
that life below ground and above ground. And one of the ways we're we're going thinking about promoting a healthier soil ecosystem is by reducing our tillage. And besides having healthier soil, a great thing about not tilling is that you're not doing something. So that's removing steps from our protocols. And so that saves time and it saves steps in the process. So we're looking at uh, building permanent beds. We had been the elusive permanent bed, but I feel like we're close to finally start putting in some permanent beds. And while we've because we've got our weeds under control. And uh, so that seems seems like something that's gonna be a lot of fun to experiment with. But the things that got me, that get me really excited about the future are not new additions of new tools, sure. Uh, new harvesting equipment, a quick greens harvester, maybe a bubbler in the pack tank, but it's really <laughs> checklists, planning protocols, um, SOPs, really refining the, the how, the, the, the human, movement uh, portion of the, the production systems rather than trying to throw money at a new tool every year thinking it's going to save us. CAF is a nonprofit organization that has been helping small farmers across California with technical assistance and policy advocacy since 1978. If you're curious about the things you learned in this episode, head over to our show notes at calf.org slash farmersbeat. That's B-E-E-T, where we have links, resources, and photographs. Be sure to check out Soilborn Farms on Instagram at soil underscore born underscore farms and share the episode with your friends. Also, follow us on Instagram at calf underscore fam farms to stay up to date on when new episodes are released and see more pictures from the farms featured in this podcast. This podcast would not exist without funding from the California Specialty Crops Small and Medium Scale Farm Food Safety Technical Assistance Program, made possible by the United States Department of Agriculture. The contents of this podcast are solely the responsibility of CAF and do not necessarily represent the official views of the USDA. We thank them for their support of this work and helping real farmers share their food safety tips to other farmers. Are you interested in being in a future episode or have a question related to this podcast? You can contact us at thefarmersbeat at calf.org. Thank you for listening and join us for the next episode from CAF, sharing farm fresh insights right from the field and giving voice to sustainable agriculture since 1978.